First of all, it is, it is wonderful to praise and to honor God. And then if we think about it, you know, in the, in the song that we've just sung, it is amazing that if we look at all the blessings that we receive from Him, I think if we had to count our blessings, we would have a problem. Because we won't be able to do that. Because there are so many that he bestows upon us. So this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the 50 days of counting the Omer. And I'll explain it, I'll explain it now, but before we start, let us just bow our hearts in prayer. Abba Father, it is such a wonderful privilege, it is such a wonderful blessing to stand in your presence this morning. Father, it is such a blessing that we can gather together as the congregation of Yeshua to come and honor you, to come and worship you. And Lord, we ask that through this message that you will speak to our hearts and that you will speak to our minds. That we will change our attitudes towards the gospel, that we will change our attitudes towards our relationship with you. That we will become committed that we will be just as committed as Yeshua was when he came to the earth to fulfill your will. May we become committed children of God. Father, I ask you that you will guide us this morning with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you will open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes so that we can see you and hear you. And Lord, that we can experience the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. And we honor and we praise you in the mighty name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you look at what, what has happened in the last few weeks, specifically during the month of April, we started celebrating Father's appointed times. And as I mentioned before, there are various appointed times that Father has given us. We sometimes refer to His appointed times as the feasts, but there are actually only three feasts out of all of the appointed times that He has given us. And these appointed times are significant for us as believers today, because if we don't, do not understand His pattern for salvation, and we don't understand the feast that he has created, we will miss some of the things that are said to us in the New Testament, or in the New Covenant, as it actually should be called. And the important thing about that is, if we look at Jesus, as, at Yeshua, and we see what he came to do for us, he came to fulfill every one of those appointed times that Father created on our behalf. And I like it in, in Leviticus 23, verse 1 and 2, where he says, he says these are my feasts. We are, we are so often referred to the feasts or the appointed times of God as the Jewish feasts or the, the feasts of the Jews. But it's not theirs. It's his. They belong to Father. And because it belongs to Father, it also belongs to us because he created a pattern for us so that we can understand his pattern for salvation. And what it also does, it illustrates Yeshua's fulfillment of God's will and of God's pattern while he was here on the earth. And we will see that he will also fulfill some of those appointed times when he returns, when he comes and he fetches his bride and when he returns to the earth in the thousand years that we will spend here on earth with him in the millennia, as we call it. A thousand years of peace on the earth. 
and also in eternity, when we spent our eternity with Father in the new Jerusalem on the new earth. Because all of these appointed times point to all of those events. And that is why it's so important for us to keep all of those feast days or those appointed times in remembrance. Because God said, keep them in remembrance. Why do we need to do that? Because there is a purpose for them. There is a purpose for them for us today. And as I mentioned before, do we still have to sacrifice animals? No, it's got nothing to do with that. But there is still a sacrifice that needs to take place. Paul says that in Romans 12 verse 1 and 2, that we, our bodies need to be a sacrifice unto God. So, the appointed times are still relevant. The only thing that changed is how we celebrate them and how we look at them. And we need to start celebrating what Yeshua came to do for us within those appointed times. And that is really what he came to do when he was here on earth the first time. And when he comes to fetch his, fetch his bride, he will, he will fulfill the, one of the appointed times. When he comes to earth, he will again fulfill the appointed time. When judgment takes place, it will be on one of Father's appointed times. And as we go through the appointed times each year, and especially this year, I will explain every single time what that appointed time means for you and I. Now, if we look at the appointed times, obviously excluding the weekly Sabbath, it is also mentioned, it is the first thing that is mentioned, or the first appointed time that is mentioned in Leviticus 23. So excluding the weekly Sabbath, we see that there are eight appointed times. We always talk about the seven feasts of God, but we miss it a little bit. Because there are actually eight appointed times in total. Three of those times are feasts. Five of them are significant days, and all of these feasts happen within a period of seven months. Now I just want to show you, I, I've got a table on the board there for you and it is quite interesting so what I did here is I used the names for the months of of the biblical names for the months um, that is part of father's calendar not not the Gregorian calendar that you and I follow it is this is part of father's calendar and then he starts off with the month of Nisan and when he says when he speaks to Moses and he says to them when he institutes the Pesach offer he says to to Moses he says this month will be the first of the months. In other words, it is the start of the year for them. And Father's year starts in Nisan. And when we look at our year from a Gregorian perspective, because it was instituted by Pope Gregory, and I'm not going to go into why and when and how. But if you look at this, you will see that it, the time frame is around about March and April. And then we have uh, another uh, month and the third month is the month of Sivan. And then we see there is a feast day. So, so Nisan starts with the offer of Pesach, then the, the feast of unleavened bread. And then in the third month, the month of Sivan, we see that there's another feast that is 50 days later. And I'll explain that a little bit now. 50 days later, time frame for us in the Gregorian calendar is normally around May or June. Sometimes it's in May, sometimes it's in June. It varies uh, every year. And then we see another feast. So unleavened bread, first feast. The third month is the second feast. And that is what we call, in Hebrew, it is called the Feast of Shavuot, or it is called the Feast of Weeks, or as we know it in English, the Feast of Pentecost. And then we see a couple of other months. I'm not going to call them out, because I'm going to spend too much time on that. But then we see in the seventh month, we see that is the month of Tishri, 
And in the month of Tishri, we see another few appointed times happen. Now, this is quite interesting, because if we look at the first few, the first, the first month and the third month, it is always referred to, um, as, uh, when, you, when you look at those, as the spring feasts. There are four feasts or four appointed times that happen in the spring, and then in the seventh month, it is just before we enter uh, in the northern hemisphere, just before we enter winter, so those are called the fall feasts or the falls, fall appointed times. We just, for, for, to make it easy on us, we just call it the four feast days. And then we see those four feast days happen in one month. It is called the month of Tishri, and it is September, October in our time frame. And those feasts that we see there, or the feast that we see in the seventh month, is Sukkot, the Feast of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or um, it, is, it is sometimes called the, the Feast of Huts, because they lived in a temporary dwelling. But around that we see some other days, and we see Yom Teruah, we see Yom Kippur, and at the end of Sukkot there's an eighth day, it is called Shemini Atzeret, which actually calls the gathering on the eighth. That is what Shemini Atzeret means. So there are actually eight of those appointed times that we have to take notice of. Why am I showing you this? Why are we talking about the feast? Why do we celebrate these appointed times of Father? Because it is important to understand the significance of the pattern that Father has created here. And just in these months and in the number of the feast, there's a pattern as well. So let me explain this pattern to you. So as I mentioned, eight appointed times. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And it provides us with hope and with an everlasting life because that is what we're here for. We, are, we, we honor God because he, there's a promise of an everlasting life. He said we will have eternal life. If we believe in Jesus Christ, if we believe in Yeshua HaMashiach, we will have eternal life. It also represents victory through a perfect sacrifice because Yeshua was the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, and that brought victory to you and I because he overcame death, he overcame Satan. In Genesis, Father comes and he institutes the circumcision of the flesh. And that is done for the babies or the, the boys on the eighth day that they're born. And that also implies a new beginning for them. So on this eighth day, we see the, the, this, the institution of circumcision. Now, one of the interesting things, sometimes when you talk to people and you talk to some, some denominations, they will come to you and they will say to you that baptism has replaced the circumcision. Now, number one, I don't know where they read that. It is not said in the Bible. The only thing that ha happened to circumcision, is it still important to you and I? Yes, absolutely, circumcision is still important to you and I. But we do not circumcise little baby boys anymore. So what we do is we need to have circumcision of the heart. Father talks about that in the Old Testament. He talks about that in the New Testament in Hebrews as well. So there needs to be a circumcision of the heart. So is circumcision still important to you and I? Absolutely. But it's different. It's what Father really wanted. Because what he did is he instituted all these fleshly things, all these physical things with the feast and, and with everything that he needed so that he can indicate to us what he wants us to believe and to see and to understand from a spiritual perspective for each and every one of us. And that's the importance of his, of his appointed times. So it creates the circumcision or the pattern for circumcision of the heart for all believers. When we look at the number seven, 
Because I said it was going to happen uh, over a period of seven months. Seven forms the formation or the foundation of God's word. And why does it do that? Because God created the earth. He created everything in seven days. And what did he do? He spoke everything into existence. So that seven refers to his word, the spoken word. But it also refers to the word that we have, the Bible today, for you and I. It is also the number that represents the body of Christ. In other words, the congregation, or as we call it today, the church of Christ. And how does it do that? Because Yeshua speaks to the church in Revelation 2 and 3. And when he speaks to the church in Revelation 2 and 3, he is speaking to the church of the time, but he also talks about every facet of the church that we've seen through the ages since then. You and I are living in the last phase, in the seventh phase. We are living in the, in the time frame of the church of the Laodicea. And when you go and read all of the churches, there's a message for every single person, for every time frame. But when we go and we read what he says to the church of Laodicea, we can see that it applies to the church today. So seven represents the church of God, the church of, of Yeshua. It is also the number of completion and the number of fulfillment. And what did Yeshua do? I just explained that. Yeshua fulfilled the pattern created by Father Yahweh. And that signified the completion of the salvation of man because he did everything that he could do for you and I so that we can be saved. And that is why Yeshua said on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And the Greek word that we see there is the word teleo. And that means to complete and to fulfill. And that's what he did. He fulfilled the pattern that Father created for him for the salvation of man so that you and I can be saved. It was also his last words on the cross. And he spoke seven times on the cross. The number five for the five appointed times, as I mentioned, so the three feasts, the five appointed times. So the number five symbolizes God's perfect grace and his goodness and his kindness and his favor towards men. His blessings that he bestows upon us as, as men or as people. And it is only through the grace of God that you and I receive salvation. There's no other way that you and I can receive salvation but by the grace of Father. It is a gift that he has given to you and I. It is through His grace that He died for us and took the wages of sin upon Himself. Because five points to His grace. The number three, the three feasts, but the number three signifies God's presence and His completeness. It depicts who He is. That there can be nothing more than Him. It reflects the Trinity of God. As the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting to me that when we look at the Bible, and Paul writes, and he speaks about man, and about you and I, and he says, we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. Says that, so there's a trinity within man as well. So we see these three things, these important things. And if I look at the, at the first of all, the spirit, man is created as a spirit, first of all. And when we look at the spirit, that represents my character and my identity. Because God gave the character of Yeshua to us and he gave us an identity that we belong to him, that we are his children. We are called sons and daughters of God. That's my identity. Not what I do, how many degrees I have, 
how much money I earn, what, the type of house that I live in, the type of car that I drive, that doesn't determine who I am. It does not determine my character. It does not determine my identity. God does. He determines it. But through everything that we go through and through everything that happens, that identity and, and character is actually stained. And that's why the Bible says to us that we need to conform to the image of Christ so that we can return to the character and the identity that God has created us in. When we look at the soul, the soul are all the functions of the brain. It is our will, intellect, emotions, thought processes, our desires, our belief system, etc., etc. Our consciousness. And when the, the word says, so when we, when we come to belief, all of that has to change. There's got to be a renewal of the mind. Proverbs says we need to guard our heart above all else because out of that comes what flows the flows life. Why does it say that? Because whatever happens here determines what's going to happen in your life. So we see this in man as well. And as God is, is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, man is spirit, soul, and body. It represents Father's three feasts, which implies His perfect provision for man, because that is exactly what those feasts point to. And everything was done according to Father's perfect plan for man's salvation through His Son, Yeshua, that when He came to earth and He came to fulfill the pattern that God has created for us. And that is why Yeshua is called the author and the finisher of our faith. We read in 1 John 5, verse 11 to 12, and it says, And this is the record that God has given to, that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. Because life can only come through Yeshua. Eternal life can only come through Yeshua. And let me tell you this. If we live here on earth, the life that I live here can only be perfect through Yeshua. Nothing else. You see, the pattern for our salvation started with the Pesach offer. God instituted that in the Old Testament. Yeshua came and He came to fulfill that as the Lamb of God who was crucified to save us from eternal death. And He cleansed us from all of our sinful nature. What we do after Pesach is we acknowledge the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first feast. And that pointed to Yeshua's sinless nature. He had no sin. And the fact that He died on behalf of your and my sin. That's what that re refers to. He cleansed us from all of our sin. And that is what the unleavened bread pointed to. Do we still have to eat unleavened bread when we celebrate the feast? No, we don't have to. Why not? Because we need to get rid of the sin in our lives. Because that is what it points, what it points to. We also celebrated. The first fruit offering. Again, it's not a feast. It's, it's an offering that was brought before God. And that pointed to Yeshua's resurrection and His victory over death so that you and I can have the promise of everlasting life. And we are now looking forward to the 5th of June. And on the 5th of June, we will celebrate the Feast of Shavuot. And as I mentioned, the Feast of Weeks, or it is also called Pentecost. And that signifies the day when Father gave His commandments to man 
at, the, at Mount Sinai. But it, also, it is also the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts 2. But when we go back to Leviticus, we see that there's an interesting commandment. So we, we celebrated, we had uh, last month, we, we celebrated the, the, first of all, Pesach, and then we, we brought into remembrance the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then we also brought into remembrance, remembrance the first fruit offer that was given to us. But in Leviticus, there's an indication that something happens or something has to happen between the first fruit offering and the feast of Shavuot, Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. There's a command that God gave us and said, in that time, there's something that you need to do. And we see this in Leviticus 23, verse 15 to 16. And listen this is God's instructions to you, uh, to you and I. He says, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the weave offering. So remember I spoke about the sheaf offering? So the day after, so from that day, from the day that you bring the sheaf offering, you need to start counting. He said, You count uh, unto you. He says, Seven Sabbaths. So seven Times seven is 49. So they're 49 days. Seven, seven Sabbaths. And what he means by seven Sabbaths is seven weeks that need to, to be fulfilled or to, uh, to com uh, complete before we celebrate this feast of Shavuot. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even to the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath, Sabbath, shall you number 50 days and you shall offer a new meat offering unto Yahweh. So they're all 50 days. He says, what I want you to do is count them. And it is called the Omer, because the Omer was a sheaf. I'll, I'll explain that now. So there's a distinct instruction from Father that the day should be counted from the first day after Sabbath to the beginning of the Feast of Shavuot. And therefore, you will always see that the sheaf offering or the first fruit offering happens on the first day of the week, which to us is on a Sunday. Yeshua was resurrected on the first day of the week. And, and there's a bit of a, an interesting concept there because the day's, uh, Father's Day starts at, in the evening and not at 12 o'clock at night, but th that's another issue. Maybe I'll explain that some other day. So this is what needs to happen. Now, they had to count each day of the seven weeks. It is, it is instructed that they need to count each day of the seven weeks, so the 49 days need to be counted. And then they add a day at the end of the seventh week and to, make it, to make up the 50th day, so to count to 50 days. And we also see this commandment is repeated in Deuteronomy 16, verse 9 to 10. It says, seven weeks shall you number unto your... Uh, your sorry... Let me, let me read that again. Seven weeks shall you number unto you. Begin to number the seven weeks from such time as you begin to put the sickle to the corn. Now, the English translate this word as corn, but when we go and we look at the Hebrew, the Hebrew word there is kamach. And when you look at that word kamach, it, is, it means the standing grain. 
Now that was always referred to as the barley harvest, not corn. I don't know why they used the word corn, but it should actually refer to the barley because that was the time of the barley harvest. And when they put the sickle to the grain, as he says, it is to gather the first fruit offering that they took to Father before the harvest starts. That is what is referred to here. Verse 10 he says, And you shall keep the feast of weeks to Yahweh your God with a tribute of a free will. (laughs) It's a free will offering of your hand. So what he says is you will bring an offer out of your free will. You decide what it needs to be. There is an instruction about what could be brought as, as offerings, but you decide whether you want to do that or not. He says, which you shall give to Yahweh your God, listen carefully, according as Yahweh your God has blessed you. It doesn't say according as Yahweh your God has instructed you. It said according as he has blessed you. This is important. He says we're counting these days because you need to remember the blessing that God has bestowed upon you. Because first of all, he gives you the barley harvest. You're on your way to the grain harvest, which is another blessing. And then after that, in the seventh month, we see the fruit harvest. So it is all of God's blessings throughout these three feasts. He says, and when you bring the offer, the offer must be in line with the blessing that God has bestowed upon you. Wow. I wonder how big our offering should be if we look at the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. So Father instructs man to celebrate three feasts during the year to commemorate his blessings upon us. And it starts with the barley harvest, as I mentioned. The barley harvest, it is called the wild grain. And that refers to the first, refers to the first believers, but it also refers to the Gentile believers because we are the wild ones. We don't belong to the Jews. We are not Jews. So we are the wild grain and we are part of the harvest because the wild grain has to be harvested. So you and I are referred to in the barley harvest. This is an interesting concept with regards to that. Then we see the grain harvest and after that, as I mentioned, the fruit harvest. So it's amazing to see that the majority of all believers today, globally, are Gentiles and not Jews. Have you noticed that? Most of the believers are Gentiles. And even though Yeshua stated that he came for the Jews first, there are still more Gentile believers than there are Jewish believers. In fact, there are very very few Jewish believers in Yeshua. And then Yeshua makes the statement in the story of the Phoenician woman. I don't know if you remember the story about the Phoenician woman. She came to Yeshua. She asked him to save her daughter that was possessed by a demon spirit. And, the reason, and, and when we look at this Phoenician woman, it says, I think in Mark it says she was, she was Greek, but then he talks about her as the Phoenician woman, and we see that she was half Phoenician, half Syrian. So she was a Gentile. She was not a Jew. That is what it's referring to. So she comes to Yeshua and asks him to help her to save her daughter. But then Yeshua says something very strange. Almost out of his character, if we look at Yeshua and what he came to do for man. And he says the following thing. He says in Matthew 15 verse 24, 
But he answered and said, now remember what happened. She was, she was asking him and she was talking to him and he ignored her for a little while. That's what Matthew says. And then the disciple says, send her away. He doesn't say, yes, send her away. He says the following. He says, but he answered, he answers his disciples and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this almost sounds like he doesn't care about this woman because he's only sent for the house of Israel. She's a Gentile. I don't care about you. But that's not what happens here. Yeshua came as a Jew for the Jews so that they can be reconciled with God. Because in the, during this time, even if you look at the Pharisees, they've moved so far away from the word of God that Yeshua said to them, that they make the word of God powerless through their traditions. Because they brought all of their traditions into their belief system, which was completely different to what Father wanted from them. He came to bring them back to His word. He came to bring them back to the truth, first to the Jews. Because God called them as His people, so that they could be an example to everybody else on the earth. But they weren't an example anymore. So Yeshua was a Jew. He was from the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of King David. He was in a kingly bloodline. He was the king. The king. He wasn't a king. He was the king. And as I said, he came to reconcile the Jews to Father. And how did he do that? Through his selfish sacrifice. But through the selfish sacrifice that he, that he brought, he died for every person on this earth so that all of us could be saved. So did he ignore this woman? No, he did not. He didn't ignore her. He started talking to her. And there's this whole explanation about the bread and the crumbs. Do you remember that? And she said, but the dogs eat the crumbs that fall on the floor. Do you remember that? And what does he do? He saves her daughter because of her faith. It is important for you and I to see that because the only way that you and I can be saved is through our faith in Yeshua. It is clearly stated in John 3.16. It says that our Father so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believes on Him will have everlasting life. That's what John 3.16 tells us. Peter, Peter comes and he states that it is Father's will that no one should perish but that everyone should be saved. Everyone, not just the Jews, everyone. And Paul also makes it clear that Yeshua came for the Jew first, but also for the Gentile. And we see this in Romans 1, verse 16 to 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To whom? To everyone that believes. Nobody is excluded. Everyone that believes will be saved. He says then, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we must understand when they refer to the Greek, you can go and look at the Strong's definition of this word. It talks about it is a non-Jew. When he refers to a Greek, it talks about somebody that is not Jewish. It is the Gentile. It is you and I. It is the Phoenician woman. It's everybody. And in verse 17 he says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. 
as it is written, and that is as it is written, what Paul, uh, what Paul is referring to here comes from Habakkuk 2 verse 4, and it says, the just shall live by faith. We've got this idea, and I don't know where we get it from, that you will be saved if you conform to the rules and the instructions that God has given us. What will happen to you and I if we keep His commandments? We will have a better life here on earth. And the reason why God gave us His commandments is because He knows that if we don't do that, if we do it differently, we will live with the consequences of our decision. He didn't want us to experience the bad consequences, so He gave us a, 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 a set of instructions so that you and I can have a better life here, so that you and I can be in relationship with Him, so that you and I can understand what, what we need to be in relationship with Father. It was never to save anybody. Because this is Old Testament. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is Old Testament where it says, The just shall live by faith. It is only by faith that you and I can be saved. No other way. And we've somehow started telling people the story that, No, no, don't worry about God's instructions anymore. Because that was for the people in the Old Testament. Because if they kept the, 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 the Torah, if they kept God's instructions, they will be saved through that. It is not true. It is only faith that can save you. When you go and look at Hebrews 11 and you read about all the people of faith, it is all the people of the Old Testament. By faith, Abram did this. By faith, Noah did this. Not once did they, does it say, because they kept the law, this is what happened to them, or this is why they did this. No, it was by faith. Every single one of them. You and I are part of this harvest. And we are part of the blessings and the grace of Abba Father. We take part in that. We are part of the promises that God has given us in the Old Testament. You and I have the promise and the blessing of salvation and everlasting life. We have the blessing of righteousness and the authority in Christ. What we need to do is we need to celebrate what we have been given and what we have been promised by God. If I can look at Yeshua after his resurrection, what happened to him? For 40 days after his resurrection, as the first fruit offer of many, Yeshua appeared 10 times to various people here on earth. 10 times he appeared to people. Once to 500 people at once. He appeared to the disciples, to Mary Magdalene, to the two people on the way to Emmaus. So 10 times he appeared while he was, uh, well, after his resurrection, while he was here on the earth after his resurrection. And what do we see? 10 days after his ascension, on the 50th day, as the disciples were waiting in the upper room, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And they received one of the most important blessings that you and I as believers can receive. And that blessing is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what they received. They received one of the most important blessings, the blessing of the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us, to convict us, to teach us, so that we can spread the gospel of Yeshua, the gospel of salvation. That is why we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Not to show how spiritual I am, but to spread the gospel. And after the, the disciples received the power of the Holy Spirit, 
We all know, Peter walked out and he preached the sermon. And when he preached the sermon, it brought 3,000 people to believe in Yeshua as the Messiah on that day. They were there for something completely different. They were there to come and celebrate um, Shavuot, the Feast of Shavuot. They came to celebrate the harvest, the grain harvest. And there are three times that the men that the Jewish men had to go to Jerusalem to the temple and was on the three feast days, on, the, on unleavened bread, on Shavuot, and on Sukkot. They were supposed to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And here are all these people together, not only the men, they were women as well, but here are all these people, thousands of them. Peter tells them about Yeshua and who he is, and 3,000 men or 3,000 people came to believe in the Messiah. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. It is, it is so amazing when you look at that. That was the start of the harvest. And in that sermon that he gives, the harvest, the harvest started. And you and I today are still part of that harvest. You see, the instruction that God gave us in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy was to count the omer. And the word omer refers to a sheath a sheaf of grain, but it also refers to a measure, a specific measure. More or less, if you go and read the Bible, it's, it's about two liters, if it's, if it's a, a liquid. It's about two liters of liquid. That is what an omer was. It is a measure. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul explains to us as believers that we receive a measure of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The only one that has Authority and power without measure is Yeshua. But you and I receive a measure of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to you and I to count this measure or this sheaf or this omer, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. So what does it mean? It teaches us to count the blessings we receive from Father. Do we still have to go and count the omer, the, the, the sheaves? No, we don't. But we need to count the blessings that Father has bestowed upon you and I. It teaches us to develop a spirit and an attitude of gratitude. I'm going to say that again. It teaches us to develop a spirit and an attitude of gratitude. That's what counting the over means. That's what counting the measure means. Because when we count the measure of Father's blessings upon us, we will run out of numbers. Paul comes and he teaches us a very valuable lesson in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 8. He says, but this I say, listen, listen carefully to this, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Remember what God said in Deuteronomy? That we need to bring the offer according to His blessing. And if you think that God's blessing is not that, that worthwhile, and your offer that you bring is a space offer that you bring to God, well, guess what? The blessing you're going to receive after that will also be space. Because that is what Paul is saying to us here. And only you can determine the level of the blessing that you receive from Father. And listen, let me just explain this. The blessing is not always monetary. 
You know, we've, we've got this belief that the more money I give to the church, the more money God has got to give to me. There are way better blessings than money, I promise you. But what is the offer that you bring to God? Verse 7. Every man according as he purposed in his heart. Remember the free will in Deuteronomy? Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, sometimes, you, oh, it's that time of the month again, I've got to give my, you know, my tithe to the church again. That's grudgingly. And necessity. Because I think I have to do it, and therefore I give it, but I'm not very happy in giving it, because, you know, it's going to be a tight month this month, so the church will have to wait. And it doesn't matter what we give as a blessing. You know, sometimes it can be our time. Oh, sorry, no, I don't have time for you at the moment. I'm, I'm just way too busy. So are you sowing sparingly? Or are you sowing bountifully? And then he says in verse 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You see, counting our blessings requires a shift in perspective and a shift in attitude. Paying attention to what we are grateful for puts us in a positive frame of mind. You know, it's quite interesting that when you go and look at some of the research that is done, the more grateful people are, the happier people they are. The more they live with an attitude of gratitude, the more joy they, they experience in their lives. So focusing on what we are grateful for is a rewarding way to be more fulfilled as a human being, to be more fulfilled as a believer and father. And that is why we need to develop a spirit and an attitude of gratitude. We are told that we must give thanks in everything because it is the will of God in Yeshua concerning each and every one of us. And when we set our minds and our attitude on the blessings in our lives, we will experience the presence of God over us. The American pastor and author Charles Swindle said the following. He said, we cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. Listen, the only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. What is this attitude? This is an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of love, an attitude of trust, an attitude of hope. That's what we need to develop. That is the type of attitude you and I need to have. So how do we count our blessings through, the attitude, or through an attitude of gratitude? The key is to remember every blessing that we have received from Father. And the biggest blessing we have is God himself. There cannot be any bigger blessing than God. And there are many names of God in the Bible that identifies his character because in his character it explains who he is and what he wants to do for you and I. I'm going to mention only a few. And when you look at these names, the first one is, he is Yahweh Jireh, our provider. He is Yahweh Rapha, our healer. He is Yahweh Nisi, our protection. 
He is Yahweh Shalom, our peace. He is El Roy, the God who sees me. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. And he's El Elyon, my Redeemer lives. Sometimes we need to sit down and make a list of his names to see the blessings that he has actually bestowed upon us already just by being who he is. And that's why we need to, we need to worship him. Not for what he does, but for who he is. But we can still count our blessings. You see, Father wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And he says, my child, I'm there for you. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to provide for you. I'm here to heal you. We must always remember that. Who he is. And remembering who he is. And how he has answered our prayers in the past. How he has provided for us. Helps us change the trajectory and the purpose of our lives. Because in that we will find true purpose. The second thing we can do is to change our focus. Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7. He says, be careful. Now that word be careful also means be anxious or be troubled. He says, for nothing. <laughs> Don't be concerned about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be troubled by anything. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, and that word thanksgiving is the Greek word eucharistia, and it means gratitude. And that gratitude, that word actually means gratitude as an act of worship. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving as an act of worship, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So we need to focus on God. We need to focus on His Word. We need to focus on what He did for us. We need to focus on the blessings that He has given us. But as Paul stated here, we need to change our focus and our attitude to gratitude. Gratitude towards Father is perhaps the most important key to finding peace and joy in this life. And the only place where you will find every promise and every blessing and His will and His purpose for your life is in the Bible. So start focusing on the Word of God. His Word is the only source of information that is true and that can be trusted. And therefore, if we look at the third thing, the third thing we can do is to place our trust and our hope in Yeshua. Place our trust and our hope in Father Yahweh. Jeremiah 17 verse 7 to 8 says, Blessed is the man that trusts in Yahweh and whose hope Yahweh is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat comes, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in, uh, careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Who is he talking about? He's talking about you and I. And he says, regardless of what happens, even if there are droughts, even if there are bad things that happen to us, we can still bear fruit. How do we do that? Through the grace of God, through the trust and the hope that we have in him, we can still bear fruit. So to trust and hope in our Savior is actually a divine experience that you and I will have. And the only way that we can have this divine experience is by spending time with Him in His Word and in prayer and in worship every single day of our lives. 
and not neglect to spend time with Him. Because the more time we spend with Him, the stronger our relationship will be. The Bible confirms that we can fully trust that there is a victorious purpose for us in this life. You see, Father wants you to prosper and to bear good fruit. That is His will for you and I. And it is when we become fruitful servants of the Almighty that we will experience victory over our circumstances that we experience right now. You know, sometimes our, our circumstances are not that great. doesn't look that bright. But the more we focus on the circumstances, the worse it will get. When we start to focus on our trust and our hope in God, our circumstances will change. Why? Because we will develop a different attitude towards it. The fourth thing we can do is to develop an attitude of love. Probably one of the most important things that you can do. Gratitude and love. And this love is not an emotion or a feeling. This love is the agape love that is mentioned in the Bible. It is unselfish and sacrificial behavior that we display towards one another. Yeshua said to us in John 15 verse 12 to 14, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his love for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And isn't this amazing? We have created this meaning for love. It is a feeling. It's how I feel about you. It's got nothing to do with that. It's how I treat you. It is my behavior towards you. Is, am I present in your life? Do I care about you? That is what love is. But we're in a situation where we only want to feel good about how I feel about people. It's got nothing to do with that. The more things you do for people, and the more you're there, and the more you are present, the better you will automatically feel. But it starts with doing something. And that is why Yeshua said to us, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I tell you? Our hope is not in the things of this world. Our hope is not even in the people that Yeshua commanded us to love. That's not where your hope is. Our hope is in Him. Our hope is in Yeshua who died to save us from the power of sin and the consequences of death. That is where our hope is. That is where our trust is. And as Paul said to us in Philippians 2 verse 6 to 8, Yeshua's greatest commitment towards man was when He humbled Himself by taking on the form of a servant and died on the cross for you and I. In that moment... In that moment, he took on what we could never bear, and that is the ultimate expression of his love towards you and I. I love this verse, or these couple of verses in the Bible, Philippians 2. And most of you will know that there are a few verses that I implement in my life, and uh, I teach people to implement it in their lives. It is, it is how we have a better life here on earth. It is how we can live better in the love that Yeshua told us to live in. This agape love. And it actually starts with Philippians 2, verse 3 to 8. Go read that when you get home. If we can live that way, we will change the world. We will change our lives. We will change other people's lives. But listen to what it says, what Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8. He says, Who, this is Yeshua he's talking about, this is Jesus. He says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. 
And what he is saying in that verse, he's actually saying to us that Jesus, Yeshua, was God. So I'm going to read it again. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but listen to this, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. There cannot be any bigger commitment than that. If I can just have 1% of the commitment that Yeshua showed to us, my life will be better. Because there is no bigger commitment than what he did, what he did for us. In fact, Yeshua is Father's most eloquent and extravagant expression of his love for you and I. You see, Yeshua will again return to collect his harvest. And that will be the greatest feast of all when he comes to collect his harvest. I can just imagine how joyous that is going to be. You see, when we reflect on Father's instructions to count the Omer, it is to be reminded of his greatest blessing of all, his son Yeshua through whom we are saved and through whom we are reconciled to Father himself. The biggest blessing that you and I can have. So we are counting the days to his return. And let me show you this. And remember, I spoke about the three feasts. So we are counting the days to his return, when first he will collect the barley harvest, which refers to his bride. Thereafter, he will collect his grain harvest, which refers to Israel, to his people. Because the word says, Paul says, he makes that statement, that he will gather his, his, uh, his uh, people again. And finally, we will be collected together as the fruit harvest of our faith to spend an eternity with God. So there we have the three feasts that He's created for us and the pattern that He's created for us. And we can see that pattern in the feast that God has created. And He says, count the blessings until it happens. Count the blessings until Yeshua comes to fetch His bride. Count the blessings until your Father or Yeshua comes to collect His, his people. He collects Israel. Count the blessings until he collects his harvest so that we can live with him eternally. And that is what this, this time, this counting of the Omer actually means to you and I today. And that is why we need to focus on the 50 days of counting the blessings of God. Because in that and through that we see his pattern. We await his pattern. We look forward to when Yeshua is coming again. Are you counting his blessings? Am I counting his blessings? Or do we live oblivious to what God has actually done for us? And I think sometimes it is just important to sit and reflect on the blessings of God in our lives. And I hope that is what you will do. And every time that you hear this about counting the Omer and the instruction that God has given us, remember, remember to count the blessings. Remember to change your attitude to an attitude of love and gratitude because that is what Father requires from each one of us. Let's be grateful for His blessings. Let's remember it. Let's keep into remembrance who Father is, what He came to do for us, and the fact that He sent His Son, Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, 
to save us from eternal death. Amen. Father, this morning as we prayed in the prayer room before the service, Leon mentioned that Paul said that the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, but the things he doesn't do, want to do, he actually does. But this morning, Abba Father, I ask you that you will create within us an attitude of, of love, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of trust, and an attitude of hope. Lord, so that we will be able to count every blessing that you have bestowed on our lives. Father, it is so easy to look at all the bad things that happen around us. It is so, so easy to, to focus on the terrible things that we've experienced. And we forget what you have done for us. And the biggest love offer of all was when Yeshua died on the cross for each one of us. So that we can be reconciled with you. So that you, we can have an intimate relationship with you. And so that we can have eternal life. Father, help us never to forget that. That we will always keep that in remembrance. Regardless of how it happens to us. Father, give us the power through your Holy Spirit so that we can bear the fruit that you expect from each one of us. And in that, Lord, we honor you, we praise you, in the mighty name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.